What's up, dancers and dance lovers? This is Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. I'm Taylor Bradley. And I'm Alex Yankovich. We host an open conversation about the dance entertainment industry, striving to educate and inspire. Brought to you by Inside Dance Magazine. Find us on social media at Inside Dance Podcast. Or write to us at InsideDancePodcast at gmail.com. Let's Let's take take it from from the the top. top. Hello, hello, hello. I sound like RuPaul when I say that if anybody watches Drag Race, but hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to our podcast. We're happy to be with you. Um, We're happy to be back with you if you're an avid listener. Um, And if it's the first time that we've met, hi, go listen to all of our episodes. No, I'm kidding. Um, But um, But yeah, go back and listen to all of our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll second that. They're so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, (laughs) Yeah, we're your hosts, Taylor and Alex, and we've got an amazing episode in store. Our special guest this week is Mr. Justin Keats, who is currently a swing on the Moulin Rouge North American tour. So um, we dive into all things relating to um, getting that show up and running. Um, whoop, don't mind my mic almost falling over. <laughs> getting that show up and running. Um, right before kind of during the pandemic um and where they are now they're uh set up in la for a few more weeks so definitely if you're listening to this um and love dance or theater or anything at all if you just have a soul and a heartbeat you need to go check out the show because it is absolutely incredible so stick around for that interview coming right on up but first alex let's catch up friend because i want to hear a, how you're doing, and B, how your show went last week, your full circle show. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, doing so well. The, oh my gosh, just take a deep breath. Um, <laughs> I obviously, uh, I talked about it in the last intro, um, but Jackie Slight put on um, this incredible show called Full Circle Jazz Dance Concert, and all the proceeds of the show went to Dancers Against Cancer, and it was just one of the most amazing events i was so happy to be a part of um and we it just celebrated jazz dance so there's just so many people who performed amazing works and they had this tree out in the lobby it was like this paper mache tree and it was so beautiful it had the roots in the roots it said african dance and then it it showed everyone from the beginning of jazz dance and how it branched out and so a lot of the choreographers that who were there like uh, Tice and Mandy Moore and uh, Michael Rooney, they all had who it, who inspired them. And I who love tra- that. Who trained them. And they would put their names on it. And then we all added a leaf for like who inspires us or who we've trained with too. It was like. That's so important. It was, it was just so emotional and beautiful and um, celebrated uh, Doug Caldwell and mm. lots of Oof, chills. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty special. And it was, um, at the Wilshire Ebell theater, which is just uh, iconic and beautiful. And it was just really, it was really special. So that was super fun. And Yay, um, I'm so happy for and, you. And you know, we talk about networking all the time. This is just one of those, it was just so nice to meet, um, people I either have known and didn't get to dance with face to face yet. Mm-hmm. And I got, finally got that opportunity now. And it was just, it was really, it was really, really cool. I yeah, I hope you got. It. I hope you got uh, some contacts there because I would love to have. Yes. Uh, so many of those people. I got the, zero photos. Cool. You had texted, no photos. You had texted me. You were like, "Get photos for the for the Instagram." For Instagram. I got zero. You had one job, Alex. That's okay. Because you, you were living in the moment and and loving all things dance, I, dance which is I fine. Was. Valid how excuse you, for literally anything. Yes. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm chilling. Uh, if you've been listening um, as of lately, as of this year, I've kind of been dealing with some injuries, um, which, you know, are a part of any dancer's career. But the good news is I'm on the upswing and I am cleared from restrictions um, at my show, um, which, as you know, over at Love, um, there's it's it's they take health and safety very seriously, uh, but it can be a bit of a process to uh, once you are kind of labeled as having an injury or having anything that um, would impact your safety they're very thorough to make sure that you're good to go which we appreciate and love from a performance medicine standpoint shout out to the entire pmed team over at love um but yeah i'm really really happy to finally be getting back on the quote-unquote horse um and just feeling good feeling ready for life and you know i feel like i say that every week which is kind of cheesy but it's a good place to be is just i'm feeling inspired and happy to be back in control of yes. uh, of of my body and and be able to use the instrument that we have to do what we love so of course i'm so, so happy yeah. for you i know that's Thank like you. that takes a lot of discipline and patience patience like it's, oh. and it, patience we want is it now. not ours yeah we like, want everything right now and we want to book the job right now and we want to go dance right now and the reality is things just take time and you just, too. you have to be patient and take a deep breath. So, um, so yeah, so thank you. But um, for our little intro segment today, I wanted to talk, uh, let's chit chat about, uh, after all that good energy, let's talk about <laughs> not so great experiences that I know we've all had, any dancer has had, um, specifically pertaining to auditions, because, you know, I think we're lucky you get to choose who you take class from, right? So you get to choose what energy, um, if you don't vibe with the choreographer, cool, don't go take their class. But with auditions, I, it's kind of unfortunate because um, I feel like we all have stories or things that we've experienced trying to get work as dancers that have been very discouraging. And I feel like it's important to talk about them, to know that, um, these things happen. Unfortunately, I don't want to say they're unavoidable, but I think by talking about them and having that awareness uh, is important as a dancer. So you don't get discouraged because you're like, oh man, I've had a couple of bad auditions from not mm -hmm. what I'm giving into it, but from the way that it's run and, um, or just your experience. So, um, so yeah, so this is all, it's, it's a sugar-coated way of talking about some not great experiences that we've yeah. had. Makes sense. Kind of, sort of. Totally. And I think we, everyone in the dance community talks about this often because you hear so often of certain choreographers. Like I, I get it. Like having, holding an audition, it's like you want as many people as possible to show mm -hmm. up. Like it looks great for you. It looks great for everyone, but I'm on the full 100% side. Uh, I will not waver at this day and age. It can be handled in such a, an efficient way. And when it's Absolutely. not done that way, I, and so I get so frustrated about it. So let's say you do want to have a thousand people come. That's fine. That's great. But like there, it's like going to the DMV. Like you can make an appointment. <laughs> you can make an appointment now, make it easier for everyone behind the table to find what they are looking for by, right. by parceling things out. I just don't think it's right to leave dancers waiting outside in the sun, getting sunburned or in the cold like, or in the cold. Like, I, I just don't think in this day and age, like I understand that people who have come before us had to do that. And that, that was just how it, that's how they landed those dream jobs. But I don't think that that's, that does not need to be the cost of getting a job. The cost of getting a job is you putting the training in 
for whatever hours financially and physically the cost is not making the audition as torturous as possible. Now, don't Absolutely. get me wrong. Like, you know, when we auditioned for Cirque, I think if I was at the audition by myself, it would have been very lonely. But because mm-hmm. we were like 15 of our closest friends, yeah. it was super fun. And that, I, I understand it. it was strenuous. and But they were testing your stamina. However, I felt like we always had space to dance. We weren't outside in the snow. Mm-hmm. And like, it's run, it was run efficiently. So I'm on the full side of like, no job is worth um, standing outside for eight hours. It's not, or I'm over it. I'm over it. hundred percent. No. And I think, um, it's, it's up to us to be the ones to voice when things are wrong, but it's also up to us. We're eventually, you know, dancers, uh, go on to be the choreographers, to be the producers, to be the, uh, the ones behind the table. And so luckily I would, I would hope that we can learn from, um, are not so great experiences and stop making the excuse of, well, that's the way it's always been, or, Oh, well, traditions for tradition's sake type of thing. So, um, I know like for me, I've been to some auditions where I wasn't sure if they wanted me there. (laughs) Like, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm showing up to work for you. And like, I, like, I think they're, I'm on the fence when it comes to like cursing in an audition, because I think that there's a level context is key. Yeah. There's a level of like, Oh, this is fun and casual. And I don't mind, you know, we, we don't have to be so HR. However, that's a very thin line and it's very easy for something to be interpreted as disrespectful. And like, I've been to auditions where they have called us things and been like, Oh, will you insert words here? Like, I can't believe you guys would show up here looking homeless. Like, come on, you need to be film ready and all this when like none of that was stated in any sort of audition flyer or materials. And uh, this one particular experience I'm thinking of in Vegas was for a show, but the producers were from New York and they were like, I can't believe if this was in New York, I would have cut all of you insert, insert, insert just off the way that you look. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're here to audition for you. Like I almost walked out of this audition um, because it was just like, I'm not, if this is how you're going to treat us, before I got the job, why I do can't I even imagine? Do? This is how you treat us when there's no money involved. Yeah, when you don't when know my name, I'm just a money. number. Gosh, yeah. So it's, it's just, unacceptable. It, it's unacceptable, and it's it's just um, it, it, it's sad because sometimes you don't know. Uh, like I said, you can know what kind of uh, what choreographer you're going to go take a class from, but you may not know the choreographer for a job, and so you're kind of taking a risk to take time out of your day to go here. And you may get someone that is really awful. And it's then I feel like you're torn as dancers because you're like, oh, well, do I go? Do I want this? Is this normal? What's my level of self-worth? And what am I willing to endure in order to get this job? And um, it can be very, very disheartening. But um, I have to give shout out to like some of the greater auditions I've been to. Obviously, like um, uh, I worked with or auditioned for uh, Tabitha Napoleon recently. Mm And they were so wonderful. It was for the Donny Osmond audition here for his residency in Vegas. And it was a big, long audition, but so respected. So like they communicated like, hey, guys, we were dancers. We've been in your shoes. We understand, you know. So it it was just a level of like, oh, we're on the same plane rather than someone pointing down at you and insulting you for what you're wearing. And how dare you even show up? I also think 
Oh my gosh, this one boils my blood. Never make somebody an example for doing the wrong thing. Oh, the horrible. Why would you I can't ever wear anyone that? Does Why that. would you do it? It happens. I've seen it happen in auditions and it's just it makes me want to throw up because I'm like you are it's it's setting the bar and setting the example that this is an okay way to treat people and this is an okay culture in our dance industry and it's disgusting, you know? Yeah, and I think dancers already we are really good for the most part about reading the room so let's say like mm. let's say you didn't really know what to to wear and you show up and what would using air quotes wrong mm. most self-aware people would look around the room and be like okay next time i'll come in this i'll come in something different like i know next we time. always say like, like bring options you know but yeah, yeah read the room like it's it's a learning process like most people are self-aware enough to be like okay i guess i won't wear this again that didn't work for me and i'll try again the next time i will say like I haven't been to a bad audition in, in years. Oh, that's good. I, I have had, maybe I'm just really unlucky. Then with no, the ones I'm no, going to. no. And this was my thing was there are t- sometimes you just go and you're like, I have no idea how this is going to go. Like the example you gave, like, how would you know that it was going to be a bad experience? The best part about being a, a mature dancer, I feel like I realized, and you know, this too, is like, there are auditions where I'm like, oh, I would never go to that because I know it's going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why it's been, I've had a, a better time of just being like, but oh, it comes I know with I experience. would. Comes yeah, with yeah. I was like, oh, I know I would never book that. And I know I'm going to have a terrible time, but it is every now and then you get the one you had where like, there's no indicator on whether it's going to be bad or not, which mm-hmm. again, goes back to everything we say of like people's reputations, they precede you. So like, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. can guarantee you, I will. Anytime I see the company that's put on that audition, I will absolutely not go. Yeah. Not only that, but I will encourage my friends not to go because I'll say they completely disrespected me. And, 100%. you know, and I think that's the importance of of community and having this conversation too, is looking out for each other as well. Um, and it kills me to to even hear that like people like now in this in this day and age, like the last 10 years to I, I feel like as a teacher, I self-reflect all the time about how I speak to students. And how I really want to make sure everyone feels safe in the room. And I, it's baffling to me. It makes me so upset that like other people don't do that as well. Like most people I know, like always teach a class. They're like, okay, I know to do this better the next time where I know I'm going to let's, let's all talk as a company about what we shouldn't say to students, how we like kindergarten stuff. Like let's not cuss at people or call people names. And it's wild Mm -hmm. to me that people like have never even had that thought of like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah. um, a total a-hole. <laughs> so. Totally. Yeah. It's just, and then, yeah, it's almost like <laughs> you're amazed that that thought wouldn't have gone through somebody's mind. Yeah. But, I can't believe it. Um, but similarly, I mean, I know, uh, aside from how you're treated in auditions, um, kind of pertaining to musical theater and, you know, the interview we're going to have with Justin here is I know that a lot of Broadway shows, they'll have to do their yearly calls, yeah. um, and even when they don't need anyone, but just by the union, they have to hold auditions. And that can be so defeating as well as a dancer when you're like, oh, cool, it's audition for Wicked. And you show up and there's 400 people and you're ready to go. And they're like, by the way, we're not hiring anyone. Here's the combo. And you're like, oh. but um, I think there's something good to take from every audition, whether it be a bad experience, whether it may, you may not even have a chance for booking the job or getting a contract, yes. there's still, it goes back to the idea of networking, of meeting people, Show of learning face. from your mistakes, of practicing. I think back to um, when I was uh, a senior in college, I went to New York 
uh, right after New Year's. It was like right before we went back for spring semester. And I had no idea what I was doing. I got on Playbill and uh, backstage and just looked up whatever auditions were there that day. And I went to every single one. And again, learning curve, I learned a lot. And um, but I saw the same faces in the audition, in the waiting room at each audition. And I made friends with those people um, moving forward. Like I'm still friends with them now. And so um, that's what I'm saying is that even though uh, it can be discouraging when you walk into a job and you're like, they don't want to be here. (sighs) Do I even want to be here? There's something good to come out of it. Absolutely. It's always good to show your face. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that you brought that up. And then I just wanted to backtrack real quick. When I said eight hours for an audition, what I mean by that, sorry, I just want to clarify. I mean mean that by there, you should not be waiting, learning nothing for eight hours. That's what Mm -hmm. I mean. I understand that like there's times where you, you are there for like eight hours. Like that's, I understand that. Like you have to learn stuff, you go learn stuff, you go like that is, is totally, um, that makes sense. I'm, no, talking no, no. About, I'm talking about waiting but and not being seen for eight if, hours. If, if, if you're going to put on an audition and expect there to be 500 dancers, have a space, have a system worked out, bring one group in while the other group's learning, you know, totally, don't yeah. be respectful of people's time. And I, I, I've again, seen a positive trend in things being handled in that way, you're but correct. there's definitely yeah. been times uh, where you're just sitting there forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and it's, it's again, ve- very defeating. And I feel like a relatively simple change that could be made in just how you run the audition to better respect and care for the time of the people showing up, trying to get the job. 100%. But, I love that. Yeah. So, but such is life. And, um, to anyone out there, uh, that's listening as a professional dancer, you're going to have those auditions. You're going to have those times and that's okay. You just have to realize that it's an isolated incident. It doesn't have an impact on your worthiness as a dancer. Um, and it's really, it's up to us to continue to talk, to support each other through the, the challenging times to hopefully eventually make a positive impact and a good change so that, Dancers in the future don't have to endure the uh, less than ideal circumstances. I love that. Period done kickball change. Should we hop over to our interview with Mr. Justin Keats? Let's do it. Keats for Keats for president. For Keats sake. (laughs) That's his Instagram handle. Stick around, guys. Justin Keats coming right up. Guys, we are in for such a treat today. Uh, we are joined by a true class act rock star and um, just overall great human that I'm thrilled to have in your ears today. So please join me in welcoming the incredibly talented Mr. Justin Keats. What's going on, Justin? Hey, not much. Doing well. How are you all? We're good. You're on. You're coming to us on your day off, correct? Yeah, I'm coming from you on my day off from the first North American national tour of the Moulin Rouge. And it's been a very busy week. We had um, split tracks and swing outs and swing ons and all the things. And so here we are. You're on Broadway schedule too, right? So yes, we are on the Broadway schedule. It is eight shows a week. And we right now have five show weekends. So that's Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday. 
Oh my gosh. Five show weekends. Wowzers. Um, that's crazy. Well, first off, congratulations on that gig. Um, and I can't wait to dive more into that. Um, and then also thank you again for joining us on your day off. You get bonus <laughs> points. Um, but, 20 points uh, to Ravenclaw. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Justin, um, let's, as we like to say, take it from the top here. And uh, if you could tell us where you're from and how you got involved or started with dancing. Yeah, I am originally from Moreno Valley, California, which is in Southern California. Um, a small little town, if you will. I started dancing because I was outside of my brother's like third grade classroom. And I was just bopping around to my mom singing when I was in kindergarten and we were waiting to pick him up. And his teacher, Suzanne Lee, also ran a studio at night and she saw me outside the window just dancing around and thought, well, there's a boy, maybe we can nab him. And so she approached my parents and eventually after a few years, they agreed to bring me to jazz class. And, um, you know, a bot mod to my face, having been a gymnast and was pretty flexible, landed flat on my back and everyone applauded. And so never left. That was it. Once, <laughs> once I got the applause, I was in, in for life. That is amazing. And uh, gymnastics is always like a great gateway into, into dancing too. I wish I had like sort of had that firsthand, but amazing. I feel like Justin, the more I talk to you, I feel like we may have crossed paths at some point in our life. I'm from Fullerton, but I, I don't know. I feel like I recognize. Were you a competitive dancer also? Yes. Yeah. I went to California dancer. Where did you go? I went to the dance spot. Um, just like near like dance precisions and we always competed against just plain dancing, but I feel like us too. Yeah. I feel like I've definitely seen you before, which, you know, always makes these things like really exciting. So, um, you are, you know, flexible from you're flexible from your gymnastics career. How did you know you wanted to (laughs) dance? You you said you were like, you were locked in. Like when was that moment where you're like, okay, I'm taking this seriously forever. Okay. Well, apparently, according to my mom, in fifth grade, I won the DARE award and had to speak my entire DARE speech that we had to like write out that essay. <laughs> and at the end of it, I, I, have ze- I have zero memory of this, by the way. No memory of, wh- of like the speech or what I said after. But apparently my closing line to the speech was, and I'll see you all on Broadway, and then exited the stage in a dramatic flare. To which I didn't remember, as Stop I said, it. until I made my Broadway debut and my mom brought this up at dinner that night and being like, well, at least, you know, fifth grade, you wasn't a liar. You, you now can see everyone there. And I was like mortified. Like what, what little, like just self <laughs> proud little kid was I at fifth but- grade? I also love that Dare was the gateway. There's the funniest meme. Dare was like, <laughs> Dare is a huge thing at our school, but there's, there's the funniest meme that's like, um, I don't get offered as many drugs as Dare told me I would. And like, yes. it's like the D-A-R-E, like the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is so freaking, freaking funny. That's amazing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you manifested that when you were in fifth Manifested grade. it young. But then I think I wasn't until I was, I think probably 15, Adam Young, um, an incredible dancer who's no longer with us, uh, became a teacher at my dance studio. And he just like really inspired me to, to think that I could do this professionally. You know, you're like junior, senior year of high school thinking like, what is my life going to be? And at some point I realized I didn't want it to be anything else besides dance. And so I just pushed for it. That's amazing. Was your, um, family like, uh, supportive of that um what was that dynamic like um as you were 
uh, <laughs> finishing your your dare speech and transitioning eventually to Broadway, what was the uh, the experience? Yeah, I guess from your family. Yeah, my family has always been super supportive. I've been very, very lucky that way. Um, my mom has definitely been a stage mom, not in the crazy backstage, you know, competition dance world. It's a little different when, you know, she has the only boy in the competition team. I feel like it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but yeah, they were always really supportive and yes, relatable. And uh, she (laughs) and my dad were really excited for me to go to UC Irvine and get a dance degree there. And then I really thought I was going to be a concert dancer. I was set on going to New York to do that. And then senior year of college, again, I was like asking all my teachers, like, what am I supposed to do? I don't really know how to find company work. I don't really know, like, where do you begin? Like, I know there's backstage and there's all these other places, but like, where do you find company work? And someone was like, where do you want to go? And I was like, I think New York. And truly her answer was, I'm not worried about you. You'll be fine. You'll figure it out. And I was like, okay, that sounds really scary though. Um, But I did a program at UC Irvine too, uh, the New York Satellite Program. And we go for a month through the musical theater department and you take all these classes and you do monologues and you have to sing for people and dance a bunch. And by the end of that, I was like, oh, I think, I think musical theater is what I'm going to do. And so I kind of switched my focus when I got to New York right away. That's incredible. I almost went to UCI. I like, uh, yeah, it was between UCI and U of A and I was deciding between those two schools. That's amazing. Um, amazing. Okay. So what was your experience like in New York? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you feel like it was an adjustment? I think it's an adjustment for everyone, but sometimes people get there and they're like, I love this adjustment. I love the hustle. So how was that for you? Um, how was it for me? I mean, I'm about to hit my 10 year anniversary of being a New Yorker, which feels really big, but it is, I mean, there's so much about New York, right? Like you get there, it's overwhelming. There's tons of people. People have been there for so long. There's an attitude and air to being a New Yorker of that, you know, confidence of knowing what you're doing with your life and the determination to get it done. And that can seem kind of intimidating and crazy. And I just joined in and pretended like I had that too. Yes. Um, <laughs> like I remember telling people. Fake it till you make it. On. Yeah. Exactly. Totally fake it till you make it. I remember early on, um, people would be like, oh, well, how long have you been in New York? And I'd be like, um, about three years, which was totally a lie. But I just felt that people <laughs> like didn't take you seriously unless you had been a part of the struggle already. Um, and they didn't want to be your friend because they, they don't know if you're going to last. And so I just kept being like, eh, I've been here for a couple of years, you know, just haven't really booked anything yet, whatever, whatever. And then eventually started to make friends and the adjustment then became good. Once you have your network, it's really much easier. But I also, a professor in college once told me that it takes about five years for New York to know you exist and 10 for it to care. And I really felt that. So I knew moving in at the five-year mark, I was going to have to like double check in and be like, am I doing okay? Do I feel like it knows I'm here, that I'm a human being in the world? And then at 10 years, I would reassess again and be like, do I feel like New York likes me? Should I stay? Wait, I also, that would make me feel like um, I'd want to take on the challenge. Like the competitive person in me is like, okay, five years, I'm going to make it three years. And then 10 years, I'm going to say it's seven years. And yeah, yeah, that's amazing. What was your first uh, professional job that you booked? 
Um, I worked through college as a Disneyland performer. Amazing. And then I became an Actors' Equity uh, union member working at Disney World after I did cruise ships. So technically, first job out of college was cruise ships. And then I went back to the Disney family, became a union member. And then my very first job in New York City was Radio City Christmas, which I know you've talked about on this podcast before. <laughs> yes. Um, with Marquis. Um, and I did it with Marquis. She was my dance captain um, at the time, which was incredible. And then, um, but my first musical I booked was a regional production of Mary Poppins in the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. Yes. Um, which was really cool and fun. And actually, I'm working with one of the people I met on that contract now, Camden uh, Gonzalez. Wait, yes, Camden Gonzalez is the person I'm working with now. And she uh, is my associate choreographer on the Moulin Rouge tour. And we were both like starting our careers at that time, doing the regional gig thing. And we were both in the ensemble. And now here we are, like almost eight years, nine years later, working together again. I did not know that you could get your um, actor's equity card working for Disney World. Correct. There are certain shows at Disney World that are um, equity shows. They're union gigs. It's the the Castle Dancers, Beauty and the Beast Dancers. Oh, um, okay. So if it's on a stage, like Finding Nemo, the musical, that's all actor's equity. If it's on a stage, not in the parades, it's a union gig. And actually, Disneyland uh, uses Agva, the union, for some of their shows, like The Magical Map. Yes, mm-hmm. I knew that about Agva, but that is so cool. So I'm sure that made like your whole transition, like once you moved back to New York, that probably made things so much easier to get into the door through auditions. Yeah, it's one of the things that I really fight for and I advocate for when people are unsure if they want to join the union, because there's a lot of decisions in that, right? Like, do you want to potentially be in a more intense pool of people? There's less gigs because there are less union gigs, lots of cons. But the pro is that when you go into an audition, you must be seen at that audition and getting yourself seen in an audition is key to booking jobs. Like you have to be seen time and time again for casting directors to get to know your face and what you do and figure out where they would put you in shows. The more creatives you're in front of is the bigger network of people that you get to be seen by and hopefully work with someday. So I was a huge, that was a huge push for me was to get my card as soon as possible. Wow. That's yeah. Such a smart strategy i think for any for any performer but especially somebody um that's new and trying to break into the scene um just like you said visibility is so so important so um i want to pick your brain a little bit about um uh your your regional theater career because that's something that we haven't really discussed on this podcast and something that i'll be honest i don't know too much about um so um Kind of, if you could dive into that, what are your, or what was your experience doing um, various uh, regional theater productions and kind of the pros and cons of that? Yeah. Hmm. I, so I have a, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I have not done as much regional gig as I would have even liked to. I've worked at three or four regional houses. I've done Alabama Shakespeare Festival, Pioneer Theater, Sacramento Music Circus, but the most place I've been to, or the place I've been to the most, which is La Jolla Playhouse, um, were pre-Broadway out-of-town tryouts. So there's like two different worlds of regional theater. There is regional theater that is old shows that have existed on Broadway, 
no longer are on Broadway, but it brings talent and people and creation of shows to the people of that area. For instance, Alabama, we went there for a whole bunch of people from around the nation who booked this job, mainly New York, but all around. We put on this show for a couple of weeks and then it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And we move on. Um, and then there's places like the Muni, which I've worked at, which was an incredible experience where the whole job is, I think, two weeks long. You show up and in like six days, you learn the entire show and then you perform it for a week and it's over. And that's kind of what Sacramento Music Circus is like also. I hear great fast. things about Music Circus. I was just talking to so someone fun. About, about it last week. They, I hear amazing things about it. It's a great time. It's really fun. And like those experiences are cool because it really does feel like summer camp. You show up. <laughs> everyone is excited to work it's not long enough for the drama of like long run shows to hit <laughs> you you show up you make friends you do the show and then you're like oh that's so it's fun. over we love each other but like i'll see you back in new york like can't wait <laughs> to see what your life is like and you move on and it's it's wonderful and you make so many friends and connections that way too um the cons is that they're it's short run shows you know like you have to book more of them more consistently to to work and get insurance and survive life that way. Um, yeah. But the pre-Broadway show thing is also very strange because you're not guaranteed the Broadway show. Right. So mm. when I did Escape to Margaritaville, we started in La Jolla. We did that entire process and then it ended. It was very well received there. And then we waited and I think about a third of us in the ensemble moved on to the national tour that happened for three months pre-Broadway. There was a lab that happened, a little workshoppy moment, and then not everyone came with that. And you know, there's you leave people behind. So that feels like a different trajectory too, where like you start as one group, it evolves, it changes, maybe you get to go along with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, the the Broadway show Diana, the musical, I also did the La Jolla out of town. And for reasons that I won't get into, um, did not get to continue on with that project past the lab in New York. Um, and so it's weird. It's weird to then see a show that you've been a part of and created exist without you in the world. This is a, qu a personal question um, that I just thought of. I think in my mind, I always thought of Broadway tours as something that would go on that you're on tour for like two years, very similarly like touring with an artist. And I think I've just been sort of either uneducated about that. Is that how it's always been? Is that it's more of this six month, eight month thing, not this yearly thing? Or is that just a new a new part of touring? Because I feel like people like on tour with Wicked have been on tour with them for like years. So it does it depend on the show and like the Moulin Rouge tour. I think we'll get into that a little bit later. Like, it just seems like it's a shorter amount of time versus like you're booked on this for years forever. I don't know. So can you sort of dive into like what differentiates that per show per person? Yeah. Um, so with tours like Wicked and fingers crossed Moulin Rouge that will last forever, um, they're government jobs. They're jobs that you can totally sit in and that as long as you're doing the gig and you're showing up and there's no like fireable offenses in quotations, <laughs> then you can sit in them for as long as you choose to. Um, nowadays, they are trying to make it easier to recast and keep the show healthy. So they're locking people in into year-long contracts 
So like I signed a rider where I am obligated to do this show for a year. And then past that, I'm unsure if they will offer me another year or if they'll be like, you're now open-ended. And as long as you give us a two, four, six, eight week out, then we're cool with that. And that's when you can leave and you can choose to leave. Or they may say, hey, like this show is really strenuous and it's really hard to cast and it's really hard to teach people and get them in fast enough. You have to sign another six months or you have to sign another year. But like with those lock-ins comes another small pay bump of being like, you've agreed to this, so we'll give you that. So it's very similar um, to Cirque. Okay. Very yeah. similar to Cirque in that way. But like Cirque and these long running tours, it's kind of golden handcuffs, right? Like you have this amazing job that you like don't want to ever get rid of. But at the same time, you maybe want to do other things with your life or other shows or expand who you work with. And that becomes this uh, really hard internal and personal decision to be like, I think I'm going to leave this show perhaps with nothing else in the future, like ready to go another job like immediately to jump into and you just take the risk and you, you go. Amazing. Wow. I love, <laughs> I love your term golden handcuffs because it's so true. And it's, it's, I feel like the grass is always yeah. greener. Like when you have that stable, long, um, long running uh, gig, you know, it's like, Oh man, well, what's on the horizon? What's, what's coming next. But then of course, when you're jumping gig to gig, paycheck to paycheck, you're like, man, I wish I just had stability and I had something that I could plan for. And, um, you know, uh, uh, like a trajectory, I guess, of your career. Um, but yeah, that's, that's very, very and I'm sure working for Cirque, you feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that, uh, going back to my original question, just even about regional theater, I feel like you, you just, uh, uh, informed me on on so much I didn't know, so um, I'm glad we we went down that path. But um, I want to pivot slightly here because um, I want to hear about your current gig, um, which again, huge congratulations to be a part of this first <laughs> North American you. tour. Um, I haven't had the chance to see my uh, to see the show myself, but I've heard nothing but like five star rave reviews, and so um, so good. I yeah and. So let's talk about it. How did you get involved? What was your audition experience like? Yeah, to be honest, I I really didn't see myself in this show. I saw who was in it on Broadway and just looked at them and thought, wow, they're like so big and beefy and muscular. And like for those who can't see me and don't know what I look like, I'm on the leaner side. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty lanky, um, you know, six foot long limbed being. And uh, I had doubts about it, but there were friends who were like, listen, you never count yourself out, right? Like show up to the audition, you never know. So there was an immediate replacement audition that happened for a swing on Broadway. Um, it was invited call. So there was, I think about 10 or 12 of us that got called in last minute. It was a weekend and I, we, we danced and then we partnered and then we sang. And then the next week, that next weekend was the invited calls for the first North American tour. And so I went to those as well. So I was simultaneously auditioning for Broadway and the national tour, which was crazy. Um, so I would do like the combination and the partnering Saturday week one. Saturday week two, I did the same thing, but with different groups of people. And then the next week we came in and we sang. And then the next weekend we came in and did it all again. And um, the Broadway swing obviously went to somewhat different. And then 
I got the national tour swing assistant dance captain. Wow. Swing and assistant dance captain position. And did you booked that. And then I know with COVID and everything, how did, how was that situation sort of handled of like, cause I think they were around the same time, right? It was like that beginning of 2020 when things were great. And then all of a sudden. Yeah. I, so I had auditioned in February, March of 2020 for this show. And then, you know, the shutdown happened. Womp womp. You don't hear anything. And then it was June of 2020. And I I have to give a little more context. So there was a show that I don't, I'm not going to name or go into personal traumas in that way because it just isn't important. But there was a show that I thought I was doing that I ended up not getting to do. So it very much gave me the reality of like, nothing is real until it's in writing and you've signed that contract. So when I booked this job um, for Moulin Rouge, I got an uh, an offer is coming email in June of 2020, which basically means, hey, they like you and they're going to put you in this show if they can make it work. But there's no promise. It's not a contract. It's not like anything set in stone. So then, you know, they were saying, but we were not sending out contracts until we have dates officially when this tour is going out. So a year goes by and it's now June of 2021. And I still have not heard a word from the cast. Like I have no idea if I'm doing the show again, I'm working my fitness dreams, you know, to survive the pandemic. And wait, I, that's sorry, like, June of 2021. June yeah, of tw- a whole year later, like an entire year later. Oh my gosh. I get an, an email that's like, hey, an offer is officially coming. The contract will be to you soon. And I was like, great. Still, still don't know if I have this job. Like, an offer what a coming, tease. Like, this like, has been like the like longest drawn out, like, you just hang on there. All right. Well, oh. yep, we're going to get to you. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, and like, well, I'm sure to them and the producers. Yeah, of course. And I'm sure for the producers, they were like, this is not like, they were totally, totally truthful in what they wanted to do. Yeah. But because I had just been like through that other event, I was like, I don't trust it. I don't trust it until I get that contract. It's not real. So then I finally do get a contract. Um, we get dates. Like we're starting rehearsals in January and the contracts come out for negotiation and we're negotiating the contract and all the little minutiae that goes with that. And then Omicron hits and we get delayed another three weeks. And I just at that point felt like, I am I ever doing this job? Is it ever happening? Do I get to do this? And then finally, end of January, we officially started and rehearsed and it's been great. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, such a tease, but I am so happy that you can finally fulfill all of that out. So I have another personal question. You all were in Chicago first after you finished rehearsal. So what is, what is it like opening a touring show? I feel like it's, again, it's just different than what I would imagine. I feel like it's a slow, you have a soft opening and then the grand opening. So how does that all work? Yeah. And that's kind of true for Broadway shows too. We do previews and then you do an official opening. Mm -hmm. So, um, in Chicago, sorry, I have to burp. (laughs) 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 So in Chicago, we showed up and we started previews. We had tech. So we had, I think, three weeks of tech, I'm going to say, three weeks of tech. And then we had a few weeks of previews. But while we were in Chicago, COVID hit us really hard. Um, We actually didn't have an opening night party, an opening night official. We had to move our opening night. Mm -hmm. So we had like a very soft opening night in Chicago. Um, 
that like definitely was like, we did it. We like, this is our tour now. This is the show that we're doing. It's set for what it is and move on. But here in LA, where I currently am, uh, we did have a big opening and we called it like our official big press opening and all the press came and we had a giant party at the Dream Hotel on the rooftop and it was spectacular. But yeah, it definitely still has that like soft opening into the big opening and then it's official. It's set, we're on the road and then every city, if they choose, they can have an opening night like we'll have a few shows before they bring the press that's local to the show. And so each city also has like a, an opening night, but it's not nearly as big of an event as this LA one was. Amazing. What's been your favorite part so far and whether it's different to your past experiences or new. With touring. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually my first long running tour that I've ever been on. Um, one of the coolest things is that I'm getting to work with one of my best friends from college. She and I have never gotten to professionally work together before. We best both friends from work. college? I don't know. Can't relate. I know. <laughs> Taylor, what? <laughs> know Sorry, continue. Like. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we've never gotten to work professionally together. And I booked the show first. And then the next summer when I was like, offer is coming June, she auditioned and booked it as well. And so she's the dance captain. I'm her assistant dance captain. And honestly, both of us talk about often, we don't know how we would survive the craziness of this tour without each other because COVID is real and it currently is taking people out. It's taking people out the entire time. And then this show is really physically demanding. It's intense. There are huge lifts, tons of dancing, major cardio moments, and it really wears down on the body. And so we've had to teach you know, understudies and swings, all of the things as fast as possible. And that's been really cool to get to do that all with her. Her name is Amy Kwanbeck. She's incredible. Um, the other thing that I've really enjoyed about touring is I bought a car and I am driving Yay. the tour, which feels really cool because I have the freedom of a car, but I also am traveling to a bunch of different places and seeing a bunch of different people and different things. And that's been really fun plus all the different theaters like seeing i know i'm like rambling about my favorite things about tour but that's I a good thing though. we want you to ramble about the the <clears throat> things you love right yeah, <laughs> yeah. no shortage of <laughs> of uh of pros correct correct we can never limit those but uh yeah seeing all the different theaters is really cool because like i said i've been very fortunate in my career to you know primarily work in new york at specific places so then to see how the country their theaters are and how different they are or similar they are is really fun and to meet the local crew and then make friends in each city if I don't already have friends in each city yeah it's been fun and where are you off to next Uh, after after this LA run so as a Southern Californian I've been very fortunate this tour's itinerary has like six months in California so we have had we have like about three months in like two and a half months in LA we have about two and a half months in San Francisco next and then we get three weeks in Orange County, which is where my parents live now. Amazing. So I get to live at home and like do a 15 to 20 minute drive to the theater every day. That's phenomenal. Uh, that's yeah. Wonderful. And so definitely if you're listening guys, we'll have all the um, information for the tour dates in the description below. So definitely go and check it out. But Justin, I want to um, go back into, or I guess um, further discuss something for our listeners that may not know. Uh, Earlier, you were saying that you've been dealing with a lot of like split tracks 
What could you educate us on what a split track is and how that works? Yeah. So a split track is when you don't have enough bodies in the building to do every track in the show. So to break it down in terms of Moulin Rouge, first, we don't gender our ensemble. We call us ourselves heels and flats. Um, so I am a flat, ma- uh, flat swing is what I am. So I cover nine flats in the show. Um, I have nine people's jobs from beginning to end of every show of the three hour musical that we do every night. Um, so if like yesterday, for example, we had five flats missing from the show. We only have four offstage swings. Three of us are dance swings and one of us is a singer understudy swing. So he covers just flat nine and 10 and then Christian and the Duke. So one of our flats out was flat 10. So he was covering flat 10 and then Travis, Jordan, and I had to cover the other four tracks between the three of us. So the way the split track worked yesterday is Jordan got to do flat three and then I primarily was flat seven, but then split that with flat one. And then Travis was primarily flat one, but split that between flat eight. And then we picked up any other holes that may have existed in the show. Because when you sit down to make a split track as a dance captain, you have to think about what is most important, what will affect the integrity of the show. So sometimes that's lifts, sometimes that's prop moves because the principles in order to tell the story need that table there. So sometimes it's about cutting yourself from a number to change clothes early to move a table. And humbling as that may seem as a performer when you're like, oh, I wanted to do that dance number. That did not progress the story in the way that you needed it to in order to make the story happen for the audience in the most integrity-filled way. That's, yeah, that's- yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I was just thinking in my head too when Taylor asked that question, about how there's most likely a time you would just be doing an, what, an acting cue because that would matter more than having, you know, the 10 dancers perform bad romance. Like it, it's, yes. I, I, I can totally, totally understand that. That's amazing yeah, and- though. And, and I think people, the audience members forget that people who go see the show, mm-hmm. they, they see how amazing it is, but they forget how much of a mental in- intelligence and being on your game and how yeah, everything and- do affects the show. Yeah. And like yesterday, one of the crazier moments for me, we have a a number we call Diamonds, which has, you know, Beyonce single ladies and a bunch of other songs in it. But I was jumping legitimately every time I would come on and off stage between the two tracks because flat seven was needed to do a double costume reveal, but then one was needed to do a diamond reveal and then seven was needed to do a lift. So I would like run around and change who I was constantly. And that also wears on the cast itself who's in their own track. Because then I appear somewhere different and they're like, wait, who are you right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That sounds like um, uh, a big to do um, like any show, you know, trying to coordinate um, with the realities of life and COVID and all that. uh, It's, it's a very fascinating puzzle um, and big props to anyone in those positions. Um, uh, big props to any swings to anyone that's in that that management leadership position. I think uh, really deserves an extra round of applause because uh, not only are you are you exerting yourself even more physically, but also mentally. Uh, uh, just just bebopping around all those different tracks. So um, 
Well, I don't know why I just used the verb bebop, but you get I love it. So, uh, <laughs> I did too. I was like, ooh, throwback. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Justin, uh, in in wrapping up here, um, I just want to first off thank you again for your time for joining us today, um, especially again on your day off. We're so grateful um, to yeah, hear to be your here. journey, hear your story, um, and yeah, uh, we're we're so so thrilled for the entire cast, the production of Mulan. Um, you said that you're in California for a few more months, but what is the best way to uh, stay up to date with you to get those tour dates? Um, whether that be social media or if you have a website, what's the best way to stay up to date with you? The official website for our musical is MulanRougeMusical.com. You know, on the website and you want to find out dates about the tour, you click the New York button at the top and then it'll show you the other options of all of the companies that we have worldwide, which is London, Australia, the North American tour. Um, we have one in Germany and then one in Seoul, which is coming out too. Amazing. I have no doubt that Moulin Rouge, the musical, will be going on as long, if not longer, than Wicked. I have no doubt. Um, I hope. But I can't wait to see. I'll be there either. I'll probably come see you all in September. Um, That was when I was sort of planning on seeing you in LA. So I can't wait to see it. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Like we, Taylor and I, Taylor and I appreciate it more than you, we can possibly say. I'm happy to do it. And then if, because I am a swing and I don't perform every show, if you humans who are listening to this choose to decide your tickets around when I am performing, I do post on my story when I'm in the show. Amazing. So you can always follow me at for Keats sake. Um, because I've kind of gone through a, a, a name rebranding. I, I go love primarily at work. Part of the journey the whole time. I'd like to say I'm an avid follower of the rebranding of your Instagram handle. And I'm very proud of where I landed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I know that like, we all know me as Justin and that's totally normal and fun, but at work I go by my last name and professionally that has grown into a thing. Because there's too many Justins in the we, world. If there's anyone that can relate, it's Alex, aka Yonk, and myself, aka T Brad. So yeah, it's uh, uh, a fun alias situation. So we've we always support that. Yeah, and you just yeah. reminded me. We'll 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 bring you back. I would love to do like a stage name um, episode, like where we talk about the importance of that. Because like I feel like all three of us have names like that are common, Alex, Taylor, Justin, and like going by your last name is just like a great way for people to remember you in the audition room and like just in life. So yeah, I, fully, like, I don't I fully even do that it. in the audition room yet. I'm still Justin Keats in audition rooms, but it all started at a show because Justin Prescott was already in a show when I joined Paramore on Broadway. And jokingly, he was like, we already have a Justin, you can't be Justin. And so I was like, call me Keats. And it's pretty Done. much been that since then like i just was an instant rebrand and slowly the rollout has happened i love it it's incredible well um keats thank you again so so much for your time today um best of luck on the rest of your tour congratulations again on such a wonderful gig um and thank you again for taking the time to share your story with us and all of our listeners so uh, hopefully we, we can all cross paths soon um alex and envious that you guys will be able to connect hopefully uh, in LA, but thank you again, Justin. We really, really appreciate it. Of course. I'm happy to see you. And I'll see you in Vegas when we're there. I think oh, you guys February. are coming to Vegas. I'm crazy. I'm over here. Like you Absolutely. guys are having so much fun. And I'm... <laughs> okay. Um, oh yeah. We're, we're getting some time together, Taylor. Don't you worry. Beautiful. Awesome. I look forward to it. Bye.